welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 53rd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. I'm your host, Matt Sardo, the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. This podcast is kind of like a diary of our journey since we launched the website in April of this year. Today's episode is awesome. I'm going to come up with a different adjective each episode, but today's episode is awesome. We have author Buzz Bazinga calling in to talk about the 25th anniversary of his book, Friday Night Lights. I know you've seen the TV show. I've seen, you know, you've seen the movie. And uh, maybe, hopefully, a few of you people have actually read the book. I'm hoping. Okay, party people in the house. What is going on in the world of pop culture? Well, the man crush came back. The Matt Damon, Jason Bourne man crush came back today when a tweet went out that showed Matt Damon in what I would say, he kind of looked like he was kickboxing, like Jean-Claude Van Damme style, but shirtless. And he is definitely ripped for this untitled sequel that will be out in July of next year. God, July 2016 movies, it's, it's going to be packed. We're, we're just all going to be broke. On a sad note, the Hulk roller coaster closed down at Universal Studios Island of Adventures. It will be back open in a year, but seriously, like that's, I mean, I remember going to it in 1989, 1999, when it first opened up, I went to this and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But this is right at the tail end of the crazy 90s of Marvel. So the artwork now, you know, looking at it 16 years later, is really, really dated and looks really bad. It just, it, it is. It is. It's kind of goofy, but you're like, oh, whatever, just get me through the line, and I want to go on the roller coaster. So they could have just had scribbles on the wall. They should have just had Hulk colorings. You know, if the Hulk was like smash, color, rah, I'll do that. Like, that would actually look really cool. But they're closing it down. There's kind of some rumors about they're going to tear it all down and build a bigger one, and that'd be pretty cool. But as long as Universal Studios refurbishes their rides or upkeeps them, and refreshes them every so often, they will keep the rights to the certain Marvel characters that they have for theme parks on this side of the Mississippi. I'm in Florida. So this side of the Mississippi, Universal Studios could still hold on to those Marvel characters unless Disney decides to buy them out and gives them a big chunk of money. But I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure once the Universal Studios finishes their mega Harry Potter land, they'll be like, oh, I guess we'll give you that. Because they're going to probably build a bigger Jurassic Park world. They're going to have these theme parks based on movies now. But it's it'll be interesting. I I like I, I definitely remember when I was the first time I went to Islands Adventure. I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. I can't believe there's there's superheroes and we never had superheroes. And then there were so many t-shirts you could buy. And there was all this merchandise. And I was like, yay, this is all stuff I could never get before. But now, now it's dated. Now you can get all that stuff now. So, eh. No big deal. Hulk is closed down for a year, but it will be back. Uh, Sam Smith was announced as the uh, first James Bond 007, the Spectre coming out. 
that he will do the theme song and then this just put together, you know, that's the one that's the one thing about James Bond films that I always remember is the theme song. Duran Duran was in there, you had Paul McCartney and Wings, you had Adele the last time. What is your favorite all-time James Bond theme song? Let me know, shoot me a tweet, Facebook message, website message, email, send it to me. Let me know what's going on cuz I love music. And it's uh that that part of I love the soundtracks. I was I was always a person that bought a soundtrack. I would never buy an album because I was there, but I'd watch a movie and be like, oh my God, that song is amazing. And then I'd go buy the soundtrack and be like, oh, there's only two songs in here that are amazing. But but sometimes there's a diamond in the rough. And not really because the major soundtrack was amazing. I'm trying to think of the Crow soundtrack. They're so, oh man. It's Clerks, I think. Clerk. No, no, no. It was Empire Records. Empire Records. Oh, that's it's the golden age of soundtracks right there. I mean, well, you totally forgot about the Rocky IV soundtrack. Any Rocky soundtrack's amazing. Transformers, the soundtrack. Oh, my God. That would Transformers, the movie, the soundtrack. Not the one from Michael Bay. The one from, like, 86. You know, you got the touch. I still can't believe that people are like, oh, that song's from Boogie Nights. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to punch you in the face. Our next guest, Buzz Bazinger, is the author of five books, including the New York Times bestseller, Three Nights in August, and most recently, Father's Day. He's a longtime contributing editor for Vanity Fair and has written for the New York Times, The New Republic, The Daily Beast, and many other publications. Buzz is here today to talk about the 25th anniversary of his book, Friday Night Lights, which then turned into a movie and a TV series and kind of shed a light on the craziness that is high school football. I want to give you guys like a little inside scoop on how these interviews work. These interviews are designed for radio. So I only have seven to 10 minutes to talk with Buzz. And I have like 20 questions. And depending on how the interview goes or how long Buzz talks, that depends on what the next question is going to be. So I'm always sitting there listening to them. And then I'm like, okay, he says this, I'm going to fall into this question or I'm going to go into this question. And that's kind of how this conversation worked because I left a lot of questions on the table. Buzz, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Hey, no problem, man. The 25th anniversary edition of Friday Night Lights is in bookstores now. What's it feel like looking back at everything that has come from that 1988 high school football season? Well, you know, it feels wonderful. It feels a little weird. It's amazing that after 25 years, um, I'm still talking about Friday Night Lights. Uh, it's a book that still sells well. It's a book that has sold 2 million copies, much to my amazement. Uh, look, I didn't really know what I was doing, except I knew I had a great story. I knew uh, it was a special story. I knew it was a story of Americana. And without consciously doing it, I ended up writing something that is continues to be timeless and iconic, which is why the new edition has come out with a, a very new extensive uh, afterward about updating the lives uh, of the players. Like you just said, I read a quote that you knew it was a great story at the time. What were the elements of the story that made you so sure it would be a success? Well, first of all, it was a very dramatic story. I mean, you want a great narrative. You want a story when you write a book, and this was an incredible story framed around the 1988 season because of all the twists and turns, all the unexpected things, um, you know, that happened. But I, I knew it was a great story because of uh, the kids that I wrote about. 
They were real. They were heroic. They were interesting. They were uh, kids of dimension. And I also knew it was a great story because there were some really shocking excesses at that time that were very disturbing, whether it was racism or a terribly misplaced sense of academic uh, priorities or gender inferiority uh, that I, as I say, did not shy away from. And, you know, I knew that would make the book controversial. That's not why I put them in. I put them in because I had to put them in because I'm a legitimate reporter. And uh, I also, the thing I didn't know was how many people would read the book and just identify and say, you know, I don't care if that was Odessa, Texas. That was my high school. You know, that was my high school in Florida. That was my high school in Louisiana. That was my high school in Wisconsin. That's the part I didn't really anticipate, and that's why I think the book has stood up um, over time, probably primarily, because you can identify with what happens in that book. You can identify with the kids. You can get into the pageantry and spectacle and excitement. You don't need 19,000 people in a stadium like Odessa had to, to, to feel that. It is everywhere in America. Do you think your book has changed how we as a society look at the game of football? No, I don't think so. I mean, it'd be easy to say that, that it did. Some authors probably would to bleed on their own chest. It was called a cautionary tale, but it wasn't. I mean, I think we're more obsessed with uh, high school sports. We're certainly more obsessed with sports than ever, ever uh, before. Um, I think that's sad because I think what happens is kids get used up. They get eaten up by the system. Um, you know, I think we extol the, the athlete too much until they can no longer play. I think in too many schools, um, academics are simply an obstacle to be overcome. They're not the main reason to stay in school. I think we too often take particular advantage of inner city and minority kids and feed them this bill of goods that sports is the ticket, which it, which it isn't. Um, and now you'll ask me, well, how do we change things? And uh, honestly, I don't really know. There's so much money involved at the high school level, but in particular at the college and pro level. And once there's money involved, you know, we're going to have a lot of kids who will fall by the wayside, and that's going to be tragic. And it's up to us as a society to do something about it, but I see no signs of that. In the afterword of your 25th anniversary of the uh, edition of the book, you went and talked to some of the players that were in the book. Do any of those players have kids now? Uh, several of them, yeah, several of them have, have kids, and some of them are playing. I'm trying to think. I think one of them is old enough to be playing, um, and that is uh, James Booby Miles' son, who's apparently a pretty good running back playing in Irving, uh, playing in high school, high school in Texas. Uh, I went back and saw all the players, and part of the reason I just said what I said about the tragedy was I interviewed Booby in prison, uh, Booby was the great black hope of the Permian team in Odessa, Texas in 1988. He was big. He was strong. He was a great running back. And, you know, the, the saggy got hurt right before his senior year. He blew out his knee. Um, and he, because he was treated as a football animal in high school of, being, of having no worth beyond football, uh, he was just thrown aside. A lot of racist uh, epithets thrown his way. Uh, he was getting answers to tests from tutors. Then he's now all of a sudden he's flunking. He was getting paid to play high school football. Obviously, he's no longer getting that. He was given no education. And, you know, when this happens, the end result is going to be tragedy. It may not be prison, but there are a lot of booby miles out there uh, that we use up and we discard and, and we throw away and we make kids believe really for our own, wins, own ends that, that sports is a ticket out. Well, it's not. In many cases, it's really not a ticket out to anything. Unless you use the values the right way, then it's fantastic.
I noticed uh, a lot of the players when I was researching this, they all they played football for a little bit. Like the the some that played college, they left because of the there wasn't that camaraderie there. What what was that like? That camaraderie that they were talking about. Well, you know, it's like Band of Brothers. I mean, it's like the it's like the miniseries on HBO. It's like the Ambrose book. It's 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 a brotherhood. It, you know, for a lot of these kids, they have been waiting all their lives as teenagers for this moment to be a senior on the Permian team, to be uh, a starter. And, you know, when you achieve that in a town that was football mad, uh, the attention you got was incredible. The pressure you got incredible. And, you know, when you're under pressure, which they were to win, to go to state, you become closer uh, together. And the cool thing about Permian from an athletic point of view is these were not particularly skilled kids. You get a few every year. These were undersized kids, but these were kids who worked their butts off, who played really hard uh, in the fourth quarter. And, and so there was a certain dedication and camaraderie that they had. As, as one of the players said when I saw him recently, Mike Winchell, he went to Baylor, and he said, you know, it's just different because everyone at Baylor was a great athlete. Everyone at Baylor was a great athlete. He said, Permian, you know what, there were four or five great athletes and, the, and a lot of them were undersized kids, 135-pound linebackers who could get the job done. And that was exciting, and that makes the bond uh, even deeper. And that's what's missing from college because it's almost prof- – it really is professional at that point. Buzz, thank you for your time, and best of luck with the book tour. Hey, thank you. That was Buzz Bazinger, and the 25th anniversary of Friday Night Lights is available now. You know what I learned? I learned that you should not poke the shipping bear. And you're like, man, what's the, what were you shipping? Were you at UPS, FedEx, Amazon? What, what, what are you talking about? No, I'm talking about, and I remember this class. This class was like verbatim in my brain at Northeastern when I was there. Shipping initially derived from the word relationship. And this is the fans' desire for two people, either in real life, celebrities, or fictional characters, to be in a relationship, romantic or otherwise. And so now there's these fan groups that are shippers, and they talk about shipping, and they're kind of insane. I mean, I want everybody to be happy, and I want them to enjoy TV shows and uh, movies and games and comic books and all sorts of entertainment i do but the shipping thing is where it kind of pushes that next level up because we put a story out about arrow season four coming up and felicity and arrow green green lantern felicity and oliver queen are together and felicity's a great character i think she's quite attractive i would date her if those were options but they're not i'm married but Felicity and Oliver are together. And everybody's been pining for this relationship. They say there's great chemistry with them. And everybody's super excited. There's a group of people that are called Elicities. Or Elicity? Olive, Elicity? A mixture of Felicity and Oliver. And so we put out an article on Monkey Spider Robots that said the Oliver-Felicity relationship might come to an end at the end of this season. 
Oh my God. The wrath of the internet that I received on Twitter was insane. That we're, we're idiots. We were fanboys. We didn't know what we were talking about. This was you, you're, it was every form of bashing possible. And just so you guys know out there, we have no dog in the fight of the Oliver Queen Felicity Smoke relationship. But as a writing, as, as looking at other previous series of television and seeing what has happened once the characters that you really, really want get together, this series falls apart. Moonlighting was the first one in the 80s that I remember. Bruce Willis, Sybil Shepard. Everybody's like, oh, they're a great couple, great chemistry, blah, blah. They hate each other, love each other. Then they get together, falls apart. House is the most recent one for me. I was a huge House fan when it was on, and, and, and I was a huge Cuddy fan. I, I was like, Cuddy is amazing. And I wanted House to get with Cuddy, and, and that would be amazing. And then they got, they got together, and I was like, yay. But guess what? Then you, you're done. Like, the show should have ended, and they could have, you know, lived off happily in my imagination. But the show didn't end, and guess what? House destroyed Cuddy. She quits the show and it's a train wreck. And you're like, oh, wow, that's that. I always wanted that to happen. But then he was, he abused her and she left the show and it was a disaster. And that's not what I wanted to see. I wanted to see everybody be happy. So now we have Oliver and we have Felicity and they're together on a show where people fight bad guys. It's a superhero show. It's Green Arrow. The only thing that's going to happen is Felicity is going to get killed off in that show. I, I, they, could, they could work around her nod, but once you say I love you to somebody, the only way you leave that show is if you die. I've also watched a lot of soap operas. Because what's going to happen is... If Felicity becomes Oliver's cheerleader, that that belittles her character, and that's not fair to her. And if they become this happy couple, what is that progression? Are they going to have super babies? Are they going to move to the suburbs? Whenever you add kids to a TV series, that knocks it down. So the only thing that if you, the shippers out there, whether it happens this season, next season, or three seasons down the road, the relationship is going to end because they're going to need to write conflict. That's how these shows work. You know, there's, there's conflict in them. And if they keep, you know, using Felicity as Oliver's Achilles heel or she gets trapped or then it gets redundant. You're like, oh, this is kind of boring, blah, blah. And then she's always the, you know, she's always a damsel in distress. And you're like, why can't Felicity save herself? But then it's like, she's not the main character of the show. She's a good balance. But once you bring them together, you're done. And, and I feel bad because if Felicity is either going to get, you know, it's, the relationship's either going to end badly or she's going to die. And, and then the shippers are going to be upset about that. But, and we're only in season four. If this was, you know, if we're in season eight, eh, maybe we're getting ready to wrap it up. Let's go. Boom. Here, let's put them in a relationship. But there, there's always this hurry these days. 
and I guess it's probably because you could get canceled, that you want to like keep, you know, you got to rush these moments. It's like, okay, now they're together. Are they going to get married? Is there going to be a wedding episode? What's going to happen after that? How long can they, you know, before you put a kid in there? Felicity gets pregnant or, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. Like every stereotypical plot thread that you can think of, part of a relationship, aren't really good storylines. And I love the passion of the fans because the the Elicity shippers, they are insanely good with gifts. And they they well-timed, well-humored. The humor in there, a little angry, but the humor is good. But the only problem is they have them together too quickly. Therefore, she's either going to die or it's going to be poorly written out of the box that they're currently in. And I apologize to all the shippers out there, but it, I'm still going to stand with the story that we posted that it's not going to last. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. Also, if you have a chance, rate our show on iTunes. If you have an Android device, listen to our show on Stitcher. There's also this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the world, plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. That's kind of the important part. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 53rd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special thanks to Buzz Bazinger for calling the Monkeys Fighting Robots hotline. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a robot or are you a monkey? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.